You're listening to My Unlived Life, a podcast about the path not taken. I'm Miriam Robinson. A few years ago, my life fell apart in pretty dramatic fashion, and I found myself feeling that somewhere I'd made a wrong turn. I suddenly felt very far from home and family and felt even farther from myself. I began to wonder, what if I had done things differently? We don't like to ask this question. It threatens to trap us in the past without a map back to the here and now. So I decided to make the map. Each episode, I interview someone about another course their lives could have taken. We begin at the point where their paths diverged and together, step by step, we imagine ourselves into the lives they never lived. Because these lives have a lot to teach us about ourselves if we let them. For this episode, I spoke to Joanna Biggs. Joanna is an editor at Harper's Magazine and previously was associate editor at the London Review of Books. She has also written for The New Yorker, The Financial Times, and The Guardian, as well as appearing on BBC Radio 4. Her first book, All Day Long, A Portrait of Britain at Work, was published in 2015 and was one of The Observer's Books of the Year. Her new book, A Life of One's Own, is a piercing blend of memoir, criticism, and biography, interspersing her own life story with an examination of how women writers across the centuries carved out intellectual freedom for themselves. It's out now and available in all good bookshops. When Joanna and I spoke, we discussed what her life might have looked like if she'd studied and then pursued a career in dance, as opposed to following what she considered to be a more traditional, intellectual route for her education. Along the way, we discussed the intelligence of the body, gendered attitudes to both success and competition, and of course, the romantic dalliances of Sylvia Plath and Simone de Beauvoir. Hi, Joanna. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me on My Unlived Life. It's so nice to have you here. I'm particularly excited about your path, which we've we've um, planned to discuss today, because I feel like we're going to carve out a life for you that's potentially, um, well, we'll see, but potentially quite different from the one that you're currently living or with at least a different origin story. And I, I feel safe in saying that carving out a life is pretty much the subject matter of your new book, A Life of One's Own, um, which I am just enamored with. And I'm not the only person by any means. The reviews have been brilliant. Um, and I was just wondering if before we get started, if you could just say a little something about the book, what it's about and why you wrote it. So in, the book really came out of my life. My mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2013, or it might have been earlier, in fact. And um, it always feels hazy at this point. But she, I knew she was, I was going to have it for the next part of my life. I was in my early 30s and I was married to the guy I met at university and I was um, working as an editor and wanted to work out what sort of writer I could be. Didn't really have much confidence in myself. Was very doubtful in all these things. I'd done a very conventional path up until then, and it was then I just thought, "Oh my God, this isn't the right thing." Like life is so short. My I've got a perfectly nice setup, but it just doesn't feel right and exciting in the way I want it to feel. 
So I split up with my husband. I started to try and write differently. And I was really just looking around me for different forms of being a woman. I think maybe because my mother was no longer around. So I was thinking, okay, how have other people done it? And, you know, people like Anu Simone de Beauvoir had an open marriage for the whole length of her life. And she's written these amazing books in different genres. I'd known that other... I was thinking of other writers that I'd admired ever since I kind of from university, people like George Eliot, Mary Wollstonecraft had the most extraordinary life, people like Toni Morrison I was reading for the first time, Zora Neale Hurston. They wrote these amazing books. I was interested in how they combined art and life, what they were trying to do with their romantic lives, how they dealt with the particular political conditions and material conditions, so kind of how they actually wrote, how much money they could make. Did they need an inheritance? Did they need a room of one's own? So I guess I just went back to all these writers and thought, okay, how did they make this work? Like how, like actually, how did they make, do their writing, but how did they make their lives work? How did they make lives that made sense to them that didn't fit the normal paths? And I felt very challenged in, in this period of my life, challenged and also accompanied in this period of my life where I needed, you know, needed to think things through in a different way. I love that. Challenged and accompanied is such a, what a great way to be. What I'm, so struck by is you put these lives of these writers all together and you interweave your own personal story as you sort of um, move through your divorce and then beyond. You really put in sort of everything about their character, which is what I love so much. I think sometimes you, especially somebody like Simone de Beauvoir, right? You, you put them on such a pedestal um, and you think of them as these sort of, you know, grand ideas people. But I think what you show so effectively is is just like, you know, all of the mess and all of the, you know, like it's not easy to have an open marriage. Like what is that? How does that actually work? And who do you hurt along the way? And does it matter? And um, something about the way that you've done it. It's like, I see what you mean about accompanied. It's like you get, uh, you got this little like injection of kind of amazing womanness. That's really articulate, but I'm leaving it in there. It's really galvanizing and really inspiring. Oh, no, I'm so glad to hear that. And it, often it was in their moments where they were least um, well behaved or least irrational or least um, together that I felt closest to them. Because this period of my life was really dark at moments. Like my mother died in this period. I went on antidepressants for a year. I uh, had, you know, a really wild moment too. So I, it's not like a it wasn't a smooth path in any in any by any stretch of the imagination. I think definitely when you think about the sort of conventional path and the standard path, I mean, marriage is a big part of that. And I think, um, you know, for better or for worse, some marriages are divine and they work really well for people. But I think to leave to leave one to be the woman leaving one, I, I imagine carries just a huge amount of conflict and guilt. And well, you feel very propelled out, and then you spend a lot of time thinking. But why? Everyone else seems to want these things that I don't want. Why mm. didn't I fit? Why? It's not like you don't want love. That's the weird thing. I think divorcees can be incredibly romantic. I almost think they're most more romantic than any other sorts. Even married people can be terribly pragmatic. I think divorcees are sort of on a, some sort of quest, you know, and believe in something better. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Hold on. Let's put that on a badge. I love that. <laughs> Um, okay, well, let's, I think we should make some more mess and, and ruffle up your 
life a little bit and go and start over at a certain point and, and see what happens when we do this different path. Are you you set? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, let's do it. So we are going to um, do a little scene setting here. So can you, before we launch into it, can you just say how old you were, where you were, what was going on for you at the time? Right. So I was sort of 14 years old, I think. And at that point where I was trying to decide where we go next for my GCSEs, I was... I'd like many lots lots of girls. I've been started ballet lessons when I was sort of five or something, and had continued to do it. Like it was what I did every Saturday. Where I did it in the evenings. I practiced. I um, threw myself around in my room to like hold. Like I, I really um, had dancing kind of. It was exact. It was all I wanted to do really. And we we were living in the suburbs, and I was starting to realize that I was. That I needed sort of some sort of artistic outlet, and um, dancing was the main one at that time. But I was also quite academic, so I was always I was the sort of girl that um, boys like to not ask out, but ask if they could have some help with their homework. So I was sort of um, a bit shy, a bit academic. I had friends, but I wasn't like the most popular person. I loved my dancing and was feeling. I was feeling very, um, it was around the time I started to keep journals as well. So I used to um, have this sense that life was slipping away and I had to write it down very quickly, which is very weird for a 14 year old to have. But in my bedroom, I had a very deep um, windowsill to the point where I could climb up in there and close the curtains and sit and sort of think and write. And that's one of the things I really used to love to do when I wasn't dancing in my room. Oh, that's a great image. I love that. <laughs> Um, okay. And you're the suburbs as in the suburbs of London or? Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, exactly. The suburbs of London. All right. So you're quite academic, um, but you dance all the time and then you come up to considering what to do for your GCSEs and. And I say to my mom, what about stage school? I could be, I could do my GCSEs, but also train to be a dancer. And my mother says yeah why not let's order the prospectus let's have a look um and I start dreaming of what it would be like if I was a dancer on a cruise ship or as a dancer at the west end or I was a dancer on um, top of the pops when that still existed and I could have this life that was um about performing and um, creating I also wanted to create my own dancers and we looked at the prospectus, I ordered it, it came home, we thought about it, I talked to my dance teachers. And um, my mother finally just decided, well, did she decide or did she, I'm sure she discussed it with me. We, she said, you are, you are bright, you're a bright girl. And I don't think that the school is going to be the right sort of school where you're going to be able to fulfill your academic potential as well as the dancer. Why don't we keep you in the school that we know and you can keep dancing and we'll go from there um and so that that wasn't a path I took I'm curious what was your relationship like with your mother as a teenager like would that have been a sort of well what that what would that conversation have been like (laughs) yeah so she I was quite an obedient teenager okay and she'd been quite wild herself so she she was the sort of mother who picked me up from the club if it was like midnight. You know, she would say, okay, you're going out. 
well, um, I'll pick you up. Um, so she was never someone I needed to rebel against particularly. We could talk openly about sex. We could, you know, on drugs, all that sort of stuff. But she had um, herself not gone to university and she had not really fulfilled her academic potential. So she had all these skills that she was wonderful. She's very skilled, like pastry maker. She had beautiful hands. She could sew dresses. She could knit beautifully. She was very capable. Like I remember her as a kid, like going on holiday and she would be the one who could do all the tessellation to make sure everything fitted in the back of the boot. Like she was the only one who could do it. So she had all these kind of skills and she knew a lot. She loved reading. She could read mysteries and um, she loved Marion Keyes and Lisa Jewell and Freya North and Ian Rankin. So she loved that kind of, um, all those sort of, those sorts of books that she knew a lot of stuff too. So she, I think she wasn't like she, she didn't, I wouldn't say she pushed me, but she knew how important it was because she never got the chance to take that path herself. So the conversation was quite calm. I trusted her. I knew she had my best interests at heart. And I was, I didn't, she knew she wasn't saying don't stop dancing or, yeah. You know, it wasn't a kind of cruel conversation where they said your arches aren't high enough or you're not a good dancer or you can't do anything or your body shape is wrong. It was much more you have these two sides to you and I think you need to go with the academic and intellectual side and it was also a period I don't really write about this in the book but it is important when I think about it often is that she had had a back injury around that time and she really suffered with the pain she had a whiplash injury and um I sometimes wonder if that's connected to her, her illness later on but she um she wasn't like in the best of spirits. She wasn't like her most uh, optimistic at that time. So I wonder if a daughter coming to her saying, I want to go to stage school, seems like a kind of a cursed. <laughs> I guess it's that sort of, you know, I want to move my body as much as humanly possible in this moment when, yeah. when you cannot. Yeah, as well. That must have sounded very weird to her. Mm. Um Shall we imagine it goes another way? Yeah. We want to imagine what might happen if, um, so it could either be that she says, yep, okay, let's go for it. Or it mm -hmm. can be that she says, I think maybe not. And you push back. Ooh. Well, we've established that I'm not a very courageous teenager and not mm. rebellious. So it'd be sort of interesting if I argued against her. God, that makes my stomach turn the thought of that. I don't know why. Oh, that's interesting. She would have, um, I don't think she she would have been troubled by it. She was fine to argue, but the idea of me um, rebelling like that at that stage. But yeah, why don't we do it? Let's, um, let's Should we live on. with it for a second? If it feels yeah. completely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a couple ways into this. I guess it would have just been a, um, I guess it would have been an argument, I think. And I wonder if, I wonder how we would have resolved it. I guess I just said, I'm going no matter what. And I think that would have been uncomfortable, but I'm sure she would have come around. She had lots of moments like that. There's a moment where when I told her I was getting divorced, she didn't, she didn't want that to happen. Um, but I, in the conversation when I told her I was getting divorced, she, she found a way back towards what I was doing and why, and sort of understood that the writing that I wanted to do, I talked, I was writing a book around the time I was getting divorced. Um, she just said something like, your book's your baby. And I don't actually think books are babies, but <laughs> I, 
I understand. I understand what she was trying to say. She was trying to say, you're taking a different path, but I, I'm finding a way to fold it into my own. I found that very moving when I thought about it later. So I imagine even if I rebelled against her, she would say, okay, there's no changing her mind. We're just going to have to all get on board um, and do it. Um, okay, so that means... <laughs> Yeah, let's say I get in as well. Yeah, that's it. This this is a real short conversation if you don't get in. So um, let's. <laughs> I'm not done get yet. In. Um, and I guess I moved to London on my own, or at least for the week, so I would be, because there are long days at those stage schools. You have the normal school day, and then you have, you know, you fit alongside all the other stuff. And let's say, yeah, let's say I. I do that and I find a, like I just find that instead of writing this lonely journal in my room I have this freedom to express myself with my body and not with my mind so instead of always recursively turning back to a thought or intellectualizing every emotion I have I have this kind of physical way of expressing myself and um that connects with like sort of sex and strength and expression and joy. You're very smiley right now. I just just (laughs) going to point out for listeners, she is really smiley. (laughs) It must be happiness. I think happiness and losing yourself, becoming not a brain, but a body, like losing yourself among, among dancers. I, the book before the one I've just finished life on one's own was a, book of interviews I did with different workers across Britain called um all day long and one of the interviews I did was with a ballet dancer at the Royal Ballet um at the Royal Opera House in London and she described the ballet A Winter's Tale that there was this huge scene where all of they all danced together and they'd all been at ballet school together since they were since age of 14 15 just how wonderful it was to fill the stage of the Royal Opera House dancing together with all your friends and that's what I imagine that life would have been like fitting alongside and with each other as much as um being an individual you know it's a weird thing about dance that you you both have to all kick your leg at the same height at the same time but also there are moments in which you get to be yourself um and you know make it your own little solos well, and I mean, such a contrast to the solitary nature of writing, I guess, as well, isn't it? The, the you exactly. in your windowsill with the curtain drawn, it's very different. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it, that the kind of blessing and the curse of the being quite brain-based, um, that thing about intellectualizing every emotion is quite a, that's that's well said. And it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because you sort of think that you understand yourself because you can say, lots of clever things about <laughs> about mm. what's going on with you but I, I it's a that's a different thing from actually feeling feelings or understanding those feelings well exactly and I really felt that very strongly when I was getting divorced that I knew that I had I had an Oxford trained mind I knew I worked in had I knew I worked in editorial stuff so that I was spending my whole day thinking does this sentence say what it means to say? Can I say it more clearly? Can we say it better? Is it too simplistic? So always thinking about how to express yourself clearly. That was my whole day job in my real life. And when I was kind of overwhelmed by emotion at the end of the divorce and my mother's grief, like I didn't, I thought that I had a way of 
I thought that intellectual, I thought that discussing things through that I had enough intellectual capacity, but that's not the same as being able to put your emotions into words, to express them in various bodily ways, crying, dancing, um, sex, like all the ways that you can kind of express emotion. And uh, I realised I didn't really have the right framework for that. So that's maybe why I was smiling so much of thinking all these different ways of using my body that felt artistic and free and happy and joyful. I'm sure I'm not the only one. One of the people I was thinking a lot about is when you said talked uh, picked that phrase up was Simone de Beauvoir, who she was so scared of falling in love. And it's interesting because, you know, obviously she chose to have this kind of lifelong partner. They stopped having sex after I would say about four or five years of being together. So they, it wasn't a sexual relationship until the end of their lives. And she went out with women and she had other lovers and some for long term and others short term. But she was always very scared of being made a fool by love, being caught by it, being um, losing her independence, losing her Frenchness. When she fell in love with the American writer Nelson Alger and he wanted her to move to America and I think she would have been quite happy in America, but she said no. So I, I, um, it's that feeling of being tipped over into something else, some other realm. And I wonder what it would have been like if she could have felt more comfortable in that realm. It's true, and it is. It's 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 perilous. And again, if you're if you're really rooted in the brain, then you know your brain can convince you to do sort of anything and can talk you out of all sorts of things that can feel more bodily or more precarious. So mm -hmm. let's, I think what we need to do is get right in there in stage school and <laughs> um, get some practical, get, we need some details. Let's get some sort of tangibles about what your, what your days are like. Do you sleep there during the week? You must do. I think I sleep there during the week and then maybe come home in okay. the weekends. So I guess I'd be separated from my family at quite a young age at that point. Did you have um, siblings or was it just you and got two younger brothers okay. um and they're both so it's three graduate three so my one of them is three years between each brother so the youngest one is six years younger than the other one is three years younger okay um so I wouldn't see them as much I think um and who are you seeing do you have like is it like a dormitory situation do you are you sharing a room with someone Oh, I'd love it for you to be a dormitory, but I imagine what would happen is I would be in a boarding house or something, you know, as in with a family or with, ah. you know, another girl from the school. Um, so I'd have maybe, I don't know if I'd have a shared room or room, some sort of, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily be in a dormitory with other girls. I think I'd be with another family. To be with another family, I think would be a really interesting thing because the other thing about growing up, is that you don't realise that your family is weird until you meet other families. <laughs> so maybe I would have had the chance earlier on to have a look around and be, oh, maybe it could work in a different way, you know. Maybe maybe I'd see other people arguing with their mothers in a way that I couldn't do, apart from in this reality I have argued, haven't I? So maybe I wouldn't need that see that so much. Or maybe I would see other mothers who are more controlling I imagine my mother being able to reconcile herself to me leaving would be um would be hard for her and would show a great strength character to sort of let her eldest child leave home and make her own way she'd be proud but it wouldn't be 
necessarily the best thing for her, I think. All right, well, let's let's make sure that we come back and check in on her. I'm wondering um, if you can picture at all the family that you're with. Do you think there's a more controlling mother with lots of firm boundaries? Yeah, I think she's the mother who, um, even when we get home from school, we do some practice afterwards. After oh, God. <laughs> we eat dinner and then we practice again. I imagine it being a, a very kind of uh, focused thing. Okay. Let's make her a sort of person who also led us to find more, not just more boundaries around work life, but had more independence in the way that we ran our, so that she encouraged us to cook for ourselves or encouraged us to do our own laundry, um, gave us the skills that we would need to kind of take care of ourselves away from home. And I think that's something my own mother would have encouraged or taken us through. I remember watching her um, teach my littlest brother how to cook like two or three things when he went to university. So maybe that would have happened too at an earlier age. There would have been a more um, passing on of those domestic skills earlier in a more kind of straightforward way. Did you get the same thing? Did you get like, here's how you cook two dishes right before? No, I got, I got slightly babied, I think, when I went to university. So did you, because I, I mean, I also got quite babied and I definitely, when I left home, I couldn't cook anything and I couldn't clean anything. And that lasted for a really long time. <laughs> I really, I was, my husband was way more domestic than I was. It always drove him insane. I like literally didn't know how to mop a floor, but it was just like. My mom was really good at these things. She was very competent. And I remember watching her and following her around, but she didn't give us much space to find our own way of doing it. And I remember even, God, this is terrible, asking for a getting a book at the library about um, how to keep home and reading it because having some sense that this was something I didn't know and had, know how to do. And this is, that's exactly why I wouldn't, this is the person I am on my normal path. And I wish I was a person who was more instinctive, who would just try things and say, yeah, like try out a recipe and see if it failed and try it again to see if it gets better as opposed to thinking I can learn everything from a book. You cannot learn everything from a book um you can have interesting trajectories and you think about different things you can learn about how other people do things but you have to try it out in real life and you have to be willing to fail mm. and um like lots of other people across the world I don't fantastically love failing I mean, failure is probably something that you're coming up against in your unlived life now right so because you're and is it does stage school mean is it all dance or is there, is it theater? Is it, what are you, what are you sort of doing every day? I think there would be singing and acting as well. Um, so fun. And I, it was never a terrific actress, but I could have, have a, like, um, I could never just do the kind of casual, I wouldn't be good TV actress. I could never do the casual stuff. Um, but I was good at sort of projecting a certain sort of, um, it's called a brittle confidence but I could definitely <laughs> give a speech that was the sort of thing I was good at um hopefully I've become a bit less uh rigid as I've got older but um when I was younger I could sort of do that so I'd, I'd be able to play like a queen or a headmistress or that sort of thing and uh I could hold a tune I, um I did it at school so I could definitely do that okay. um the dancing would be all sorts there'd be tap dancing and modern dancing and ballet dancing and I guess mixing them together would be interesting, like kind of acting through dance as well. 
Cool. And do you think at this school, are you encouraged to do that? Are you encouraged to sort of, is it quite a rigid structure? Are you encouraged to start to get creative with the different forms? Let's let me get more creative. Let me let's like start creating my own plays and my own dances and my own um, songs. That's something I did as a younger girl at school. We wrote, I wrote a hymn with some friends and I've always created dances and I did, um, I did a theatre studies A-level and we wrote a play that was based on, um, it was, we took Ophelia out of Hamlet and tried to give her a kind of life of her own. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> so yeah, let's, let's have me creating dances and kind of happenings. That would be very cool. Okay. So let's say, how long does this, how long does the, is it two years or does this go all the way through A-levels? I think it probably would have gone to 18. Okay. So you do this for a bit. What I'm curious about um, before we get too far along is just what is it like when you go back home? So you'll go back home for obviously the weekends, but for sort of longer stays, you're you're kind of, uh, I mean, it's there must be a sort of massive leap in independence that's happening. You're cooking for yourself. You're cleaning for yourself. What's it like when you're back home? Let's say, let's say home for Christmas mm. or the summer. Yeah. I think there would be more clashes with my mother because I would, it would be very difficult to go from doing everything. But maybe you'd have like a week where you would luxuriate and someone cooking for you and someone doing your laundry. And then you might feel, huh, I really want to have an idea for dinner or I want to, I want to turn, um, that part of the lounge into a sort of bar area so I can practice I want to have my friends over I want to travel um and actually I wonder mom was very good at for all of us my brothers would say this too of just like of um going along with us that she maybe she would become this great like den mother that my house would be the house where you know, we would all come and visit and make dances and make plays and she would be the one kind of interested in all of us and making, she made costumes for my dance school and I can imagine her making more and more costumes and getting into it. She also did a little bit of dance herself when she was little, so maybe we could give her a part. Should we do that? Should we do that? Let's give her a part. Um, uh, I would say non-speaking part. That's very unfair, Mum. Sorry. Let's give you the speaking part. Let's let you dance and speak. Um, yeah, that would be cool. I'd love that. And even my little brothers, let's get them dressed up. And my poor dad, why not? He could yeah. be. He could do it. So let's let's drag the whole family into a theatrical family. Absolutely. I love this. You've just transformed everyone. How old are you now? Is this is this straight away or is this a couple years into, into the think- programme? I think this is 17, 18, where I've got a bit more confidence and realising what I can do and realising also that time is sort of the end of school, right? So I'm going to have to start being in the real world. Um, And do I want to go to university or do I want to just start, start dancing? It's a short career. That's definitely the next question. Before we do, I just want to know about any, can you think of, do you make any particular friends at the school? Are there particular boys at the school? Friends or boys or boys who are friends? I think I have I have a group of girls. I have a I have a, a group of women and um 
and it's not a group where we realize there's one part and no and not everyone can be the star it's a group of women who realize this is a really difficult career and if we don't pull together and help each other and um train together we're never going to get through this um and the balance between I, I hopefully that the kind of ethos would be supportive but of course that would be put, pressure be put on with auditions and things and it's very difficult to I think because women are allowed to be competitive or not allowed to women find it difficult to be openly competitive like men are I think that could be a set of difficult jealousies and ambitions to navigate over time and it may well be that I would I would fall out with friends over things like that parts not got someone getting apart and things mm. like that we talked about um yesterday the kind of anxiety around and that a lot of women have around just doing well full stop and the kind of sense that if you do well that means that you know you've either you've taken something from somebody else and we're sort of trained not to do that or just generally speaking feeling guilty for your own success yeah it, it can feel awful when you feel success like as in if you're, you're drawing a lot of um attention to yourself and you're drawing a lot of um you're setting yourself up for a fall or you're you know that it upsets other people it can be a very very tricky thing and it and I hope that I basically know that even in a supportive group of friends this imaginary wonderful group of friends who make dances together there would be jealousies over all sorts of things and it's unlikely that the group will stay intact over time because okay. of that thing do you think that you will still have that sense that you're that sort of sense of guilt around gain and success or mm -hmm. do you think that the you who stood up to your mother and has been in this you know school for several years doing this working your body day in day out slightly mm -hmm. less brain-based do you have the same feelings Let's say you get a part in something. Let's give you a part. Can we give you a part? Obviously, you've got your family theater troupe, and that's very important. But like, do we? Because <laughs> presumably, yeah. you're starting to audition for things, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I get a part. I get a part. I hope I learn sooner rather than later in this life. Sooner because of being, you know, one that um, rejection is completely normal in an artistic life. Um, that happens all the time in all of them, like dancing, acting, writing, the amount of times I've been turned down for things. I hope I realise sooner or later there's a room for everyone, that there is way more, so that I say I get a part, but in the show there's another moment for someone who's a wonderful singer, my friend who's a brilliant singer, and there's another great turn, comic turn, for my friend who's a brilliant kind of comedic actress, and in fact the point of the show is to bring all of those different talents into one um one show hopefully I learn that sooner rather than later because it's more like I suppose how I felt in my life sometimes isn't that I feel bad about <laughs> bad about things that have gone well and if you feel bad about things that have gone well and you feel bad about things that have gone badly then when are you feeling good about anything <laughs> Presumably, I mean, as you say, it would be nice to learn that earlier. And as you mentioned, like the the career of a dancer 
is a short one. So in a way, I wonder if almost some of those lessons kind of need to speed up because you're working with a much um, tighter time frame, aren't you? Yeah. And I suppose maybe if you do, you try things out more sooner, you're not protecting the way you are sort of at school where I imagine you're going for professional auditions much sooner if you're in on that path and they've got to sense you, they've got to send you out to the world and able to start dancing, um, that you get used to that. Um, and you get used to what are your qualities, what things you're good at and what things you're not. Um, you get more feedback perhaps that you're ready. So what do we think you're 17, 18, you're coming to the end of this run. What are your opportunities? What are your choices in front of you? Cause so in real life, you graduated from secondary, you went to Oxford mm-hmm. and, and yeah. that, the brain side one. Yeah. Yeah. Where is, where's the brain side in this, in this, um, or the academic side in the, in these years? Have you had any, is there any of that or is it just? See, I, um, I think that actually there is a lot of, there is a lot of intelligence in the body. So, um, I think that through, you can see it sometimes if you go to the ballet and you see the dancer just walk across the stage and suddenly walking seems brand new. Like every single action you need to walk is just complex and beautiful and refined. And I think that bodily intelligence is the sort of intelligence. It's not the se- It's not quite the same as reading reading Simone de Beauvoir in French, but it is like, it is a particular sort of intelligence. It's not, um, and I think that would find expression in creating dances, which hopefully I've still been doing and creating more complex patterns and thinking um, in a 3D way, thinking spatially, like, you know, the way that David Beckham would take a free kick and you could see he was calculating how, where to kick the ball, where the ball would kind of spin so it'd fall in the goal exactly the right time. Like it's that sort of intelligence. So I think there would be ways of, using some of my I'm still doing UCCs right I'm still reading and still learning and so maybe I would become more self-directed and find my own way to um writers that I like sooner because I would be sort of set free in the library and not um being told that if I need to know about literature I have to start with Beowulf and end with Salman Rushdie and there's no deviation in between and there are very few women and people of color don't seem to have written in this <laughs> Whereas hopefully I would be able to find other ways through on my own and bring it into this kind of combine the bodily and the intellectual in in the and and my expressive creativity in dances that I'm making. Um, yeah, so it is there. Amazing, good. I'm glad. <laughs> um, in which case, now you're 18. What are your options? What do you think you um, want to do? It's beginning it's beginning um auditions, isn't it? One of the things I thought when I was I don't think I'm not I think having even just gone through this conversation with you, I'm thinking I probably wouldn't have done this. But at 14, I remember that my dance teacher had um danced on a cruise once, a cruise ship, and I thought that was so glamorous. Can you imagine the costumes and dancing every night? So that would have been a that might have been a path, I think, until I got to 18 and realised I could do um, much more interesting things with my dance than um, go on a cruise ship, go on a well, Does that cruise. happen one summer in 
while you're still in school? Are you allowed to go dancing? Yeah, let's be on a cruise ship for a a summer. Great. Your sort of final summer before you have to go off and be a grown-up. I think you should dance on a cruise ship. Yeah. Where is it? Where's the cruise ship? Which ocean? I think... Why don't we go to America on the cruise ship? Why don't we do that? Are you on the QE2? Does that exist? Yes. Yeah, let's cross the Atlantic. (gasps) Great. What's the dance? Like, what's the dancing that you're doing? It's not very creative. It's more like putting on a costume and um, high kicking, doing splits, um, smiling a lot. Uh, um, But maybe it's the same crew as I went to school with, so it's all kind of fun. It's like it's like a jazz hands version of the Ibiza trips that we all took when we were like eighteen. Isn't Ibiza a jazz hands version of Ibiza? <laughs> <laughs> no I know what you mean I know what you mean um is there anyone interesting on the cruise do you meet anyone oh yeah let's give me a summer romance that'd be fun oh no hang on we could give myself a um Simone Beauvoir Nelson Algren problem (gasps) meet an American oh no oh no who is he who is he is his name Nelson who is he um he is let's say he's a really wonderful dancer um very confident um but not creative in the way I am so sort of interested in the fact that I make dances and I have all you know have this creative life then let's have him just be a fun a fun guy to like spend time with and um yeah and because yeah we had this fantastic summer how delightful (laughs) <laughs> I'm so pleased for you. That sounds like loads of fun. It's like exactly what should happen when you're a 17 year old dancer. Yeah, yeah. Are you okay? Are you guys going to stay in touch, or you think it's just it's just done after the summer? I think it's a summer romance. It's Amazing. done after that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sad but real. You know. Yeah. Formative. Real. <laughs> All right, fine. So we leave him in the states. You come back. Mm-hmm. Um. Hopefully, you get to keep like your. I feel like there's an outfit that you should get to keep. <laughs> it's got frills and sequins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, like a hat. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Feathered hat. Like two times bigger than my normal head, you know. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. Formative love, exciting travel, feathered hat. Now back to real life. How am I going to make it? Yep. What do you do? Um, I think what might happen is that I audition and audition and audition and I can get sort of chorus roles or things that seem, you know, things that make me part of things. But I start to feel, I start to miss this creative period when I was able to make my own things and um, the money isn't good and I can feel a bit lonely if friends are traveling the country with a show or um, so I, I, I after a while of that of having sort of slightly chorusy roles that um, are sort of bread and butter but not exciting or and or not getting the ones that are really glamorous ones hopefully I start making my own stuff and doing that we're doing that sort of cheaply and um, 
but with complete like freedom and with the support of my family who were roped in from my kid and with um the friends that I made at school and hopefully with that I could make make work that um meant something to other people other dancers other choreographers there is um women chore- women doing choreography has been extremely rare over history there's only a handful of them like Nijinska that was Nijinsky's sister made some dances um her life again she never had a company of her own she never managed to kind of create a body of work that's lost in the way that someone like Balanchine's work has lasted so it would be unusual mm. but there are modern there are lots of modern companies like Martha Graham's company still exists and so maybe I would make a little company of my own and just try to make it keep going um over time and maybe one we'd have a success every so often but maybe a lot of them no one will come and see <laughs> how does that work on a really practical level like where are you are you living in London or are you living back at home you're still young I mean you're right you're 18 19 yeah maybe 20 because um, you did a little bit of auditions and stuff like that yeah I think I'd be living in London and maybe sharing and so maybe the actual making of dances would happen in you know you push the sofa aside and do it in the front room and you use all the contacts you've got from school or apply there are several things maybe there are different programs attached to the bigger companies I know that there's a smaller studio at the Royal Opera House there's and places connected to the place in um over at King's Cross so maybe in those spaces, maybe also we would get a bit um, like creative, like um, find unoccupied buildings or go to the park or um, make, make, oh, like when Hackney Wick was a thing, like maybe there would be space down there um, and use all of those spaces to make dances. Okay. And then try and get, try and get into a theatre. Is that supporting you or do you need to do something else to be solvent? I think you need to do something else, right? I don't know any creative careers that um, are so very lucky that I don't have some other thing behind it. How would I make money? What was I good at effortlessly? Maybe I'm just like a waitress or something, maybe, just to pay rent. Yeah. Uh, what other things could I, would I, did I do that I was kind of, I was like good at being like a PA, that sort of thing. So maybe I was like a PA for an office in London. Okay. And the office hours are quite strict. So it gave me lots of time. I imagine in the mornings was a time when I would kind of think, dance through on my own in the evenings when I would practice with other dancers. What happens next? Do you think a theatre picks up one of your pieces or? Yeah. Yeah, I hope that's exactly what I'd love to happen. I pick up one of my pieces, it gets a respectful review, but it also becomes something that people go and see. So it more becomes like, it has energy for other young people being interested in it. And maybe through that I meet all sorts of people. Maybe that's where I meet someone I fall in love with. Maybe it's I meet um, other other friends and it becomes a sort of community around people being interested in what we're doing 
and it becomes a group enterprise, not just me. It becomes something that everyone can be involved in. I love that. This feels important. The group, the group feels very important. Mm. Um, why do you think the group feels so important to you? We've had multiple groups now. Uh, it very much comes out of my life post-divorce, I think. I think being in a couple is, a the way I put it in the book is frictionless. And a few friends have said, oh my God, that's exactly it. When you're a couple, you move through the world without friction. People understand what you're doing and why they sort of get what, out the, like holidays are set up for that, like um, trains, Eurostars, like is it two people. Um, all that sort of thing is all set up for couples and... Um, when that suddenly didn't become, seemed a life I wasn't going to lead anymore, I said, okay, so how else do I do it? How else do I do it? And it's, I think the answer to how I've done it or what's made me happy is to have women around me and more than one. So the oldest friends I have are from university days because we moved around a lot when I was a kid. So I don't have the childhood friends when I was five. I have these friends from when I was 18. Um, and I, um, these are just women who have some, in some cases, completely different paths for me. I have like a friend who's a photographer, a friend who is a, a book publisher, a friend who is a poet, a friend who is in marketing, a friend who is a journalist. So they're, they're related. They're things that we understand about each other, but they're not the same. And, um, and different qualities, like a friend who's slightly more reserved, a friend who's more outgoing, of like, you know some are straight some are gay some are married some are not like there is a whole variety of ways of being and um I call on them I call on them very often I need their advice I often need their support I often just need them they're kind of witnessing again it's the accompaniment to sort of like come along with me in my life um and they were really they're at the foundation of my life, really, and I don't really want that to change no matter what happens. Um, so I think finding the groups, that supportive groups as soon as possible, is going to be um, foundational to any sort of happy life, I can imagine, or any sort of existence. They would have to be there. Mm. Um, finding your people is a lifelong thing, but it, it changes your life. Also, um, I suppose the other thing about it is I'm talking a lot about what they've given me, but actually I realised how much I get from giving giving to my friends, having people whose lives I can support and encourage and knowing how much I get from that makes me more willing to, to or not even more willing. Willing is a really weird word in this context. I mean that I gain a lot from the support that I give my friends. And I know that, for example, if we were making dances together and I could see, oh, that person is brilliant at pirouettes. And so then you find a way to show that off. And um, it's just such a joy to see people that you love succeed and be happy. Mm. And yeah, since being divorced, I found that much easier to do with friends. But that's not to say that should the right person come along, man come along, I could see that. And it actually, no, in the unlived life, I do. <laughs> unlived yeah. life, I do have someone that I just feel fully supported and supported by, I think. Why not? Why I'm not, indeed. 
Um, okay, well, so is, has he come along? Is he there already? Or are we sort of seen a show up now? You're in your kind of early 20s. Notably, I mean, so you met your husband at university. So around this time is when. Yeah. So you're, that's just none of that is happening for you now. No, no. I have my friends. And they're the, they're the foundation. Um, yeah, let's have him show up. Let's have him show up mid-20s. So I sort okay. of have a sense of who I am. Um, but still flexible <laughs> and um, yeah let's have him yeah let's 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 say that all of the kind of um, combination of um, like emotional and physical and intellectual kind of all of that stuff I've been doing through school and through um, starting to make starting starting my own life um enables me to be able to like fall in love in a sort of uh in a in a really organic way that feels just um both you get carried away in it in the way that you ought to but also not um like I'm drowning and losing sense of who I am and what I would do and overawed by um someone who I thought was more impressive than I am I think often I've um often I've just been very overawed by the people I've fallen in love with like sort of think they're so you know you just idolize them so so I think I would like to have someone who I, I could manage to fall in love but keep my balance that would be the absolute ideal okay and I've I set myself up that. <laughs> well you've got you've got you've got really firm ground beneath you with your with your friends and with your company yeah um and okay do we want any more specifics about this guy are we maybe like is Um, he also a creative does he like oh yeah well I have found that being with other writers is not that straightforward Mm. um but I still do find that the idea of that I find really exciting the idea of being able to create together um so let's 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 try again let's try it and let's have it not that I'm trying to be or take something that I have but that the meeting creates something separate that we both really believe in um you know I'm starting to sound like the um, romantic divorcee again but I do sort of think if marriage really you sort of got to believe in the in the in the idea of it that that together you create something much bigger than you can alone and um I hope that would be the feeling I would have when I would meet him that it would be oh I can I can be creative I can be um kind of looked after if I'm struggling I can be supported in things I find scary like all oh, that 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 the combination will sort of create more than it takes away I think um because then I look at someone like the marriage that I like most in the book is between George Eliot and um, uh, George Henry Lewis. And they, they had a really wonderful marriage that was fully just really supportive. I like made her into a fiction writer. Um, she became a mother to his sons. She, um, yeah, she just allowed her to flourish the way he protected her. So he would like cut out the, 
reviews of her stuff so she wouldn't have come across it. They would live this life where they would leave the country when a book was published so that they could just be enjoying Venice and not thinking about what people were saying about her latest novel. Um, so he really shielded her and allowed her to flourish. And she, him too, like she she loved him deeply. And when he died, she mourned in a way that we don't permit ourselves to mourn anymore. She sort of closed the doors and um, stopped writing, um, cried, wore black, all those things. So um, let's give me a, a marriage like that. That would be amazing. That sounds amazing, amazing. Okay. And is it a marriage? Do you guys get married? Or do you? Oh, no, let's no, let's not get married. Yeah. That'd be even better. Let's have um. Let's not get involved in um legal obligations and financial entanglements. Let's just stay devoted, but not married. Great. Um, I want us to pause and check in with your mother. Oh yeah. Because you've been away from home for a while. Yeah. You've branched out. Yeah. How's she doing? She is finding a way to really enjoy my independence. I think she comes to London and spends a week before the show opens helping me with all sorts of different things and enjoying opening night and um, getting to know all the other dancers. I think she finds that in itself sort of inspiring in her own life. Um, late in her life, she took up watercolours um, and she made her own you know she would go on courses and learn things but also paint at home and I hope that seeing a daughter like fulfill herself creatively would make her see that there are you know there are other avenues for her to 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 express herself creatively I think she would be asking if I was going to get married (laughs) I would be having to constantly say no no we're fine as we are I think she'd be suggesting that I should have children um and I think that would be a very vexed question for a dancer because you know both it's a short career and it can be ended by injury at any time and that taking some time out to have a child would change things um but also maybe if I'm creating a different sort of company with lots of different women there would be space for that that I, there would be I could step back and someone else could choreograph that we that we could have um we could maybe even have the babies in the dance I don't know <laughs> like why yes. don't the idea that everything would have to stop for that if you at least if I was we were running it ourselves we would have other ways of doing it of bringing all of that together well, um, maybe even it's interesting what you were saying before about the fact that there are no or very few female choreographers. And I mean, that must play a part in the fact that the careers end so young and you, that you never, for example, would see a pregnant body dancing or a... Yeah. Yeah. So maybe there would be, maybe it was, maybe I'd found a way of um making a, making a virtue out of that lack and thinking, okay, yeah, you're right. What if there was a... Um, dance of pregnant bodies what if the children were using the stage in certain ways what if um there were ways of of swapping things out or moving roles around to accommodate caring responsibilities 
um, in this, I'm sure in the imaginary life, just in my real life, my mother would become sick. So how would I take on that responsibility as well as I'd want that caring, that experience of caring for my mother was one of the best experiences of my life as well as the hardest. And I wouldn't want to miss it in any of my lived and unlived lives. So how would I bring that into the dance? I think that could be done really interestingly as well. Mm. Um, and it's one of the questions I was thinking about a lot in the book, like how how do these women bring their life into their creative work? How do they make it, um, you know, Virginia Woolf, when she wrote To the Lighthouse at the end, she just said, I've unknotted something about my childhood. And she wasn't saying, oh, it's, it's straightforward, straightforwardly therapeutic, but she was saying that there's something very satisfying in being able to capture and understand certain elements of your experience in prose that, aesthetic prose like she's not she's not doing a realistic narrative but she is able to capture something of her life and her feeling and how she felt about her mother and that would be really cool I want to just look at these two potential caring moments so um I think your mother being the the one that as you say will definitely happen um do you think before that do you think you do have a child yeah let's give me a child okay yeah, let's do that. That would be interesting. Because, you know, I have the marriage, I have the creative life, I have the friends. Is your company self-sustaining now? Do you still have to work as a PA or have you kind of, we're in your kind of late 20s now, getting on to 30, are you? Yeah, let's say I've had one hit at least and also I've had some interesting funder become interested in it and we've been able to create enough um, uh, of a kind of stable finances and an audience that we know that we can keep going and then maybe go on tour every so often and make make as many dances as we need um and yeah so that's sustaining um then why not have a child it's funny because um I think I was slightly scared of having a child without my mother which is maybe the reasons why I didn't do it in my real life that I felt mm. um if she wasn't going to be around, then who would I say? This baby will not go to sleep. I need some help. Um, and maybe I didn't have any confidence I could do that myself. And in the life we've created, there's loads of different support, isn't there? When you're very in love with someone, you want to have a child with them as well. So, yeah, so that's how it's going to be. Okay. Child is happening. And has your mother already started to get sick at the moment that you... Yeah, I think... Yeah, okay. I think that would what would have happened that in the ideal world she would be still aware enough when the child is born to, to appreciate it to really enjoy a small baby holding a small baby and um yeah uh but it would be I think it would also be the moment in which it was starting to become harder for you know, I, I don't know, maybe other people will relate to this, but that moment where you realise that you, as the child, have to take more care of the parent, that when they come and visit, you can't just um, sit on the sofa all day and expect them to do your washing up for you or go home and expect them to cook and you not to do anything. So it's that moment where you know that you're starting to take care of them, starting to make sure, you know, have they got, you know, with mum we would if I was at home, I would make sure that she would have clothes or do a bit of shopping for her and dad. Or um, if she 
you know, when dad had to start looking after her, I would make sure that he, you know, turned much moisturiser to buy for her or um, remind her, remind him of some things that she'd forgotten that she liked. Like she really liked um, panna cotta. And I think he kept on forgetting that, you know, things like that. I would just sort of try and um, make sure that she had the things that she liked while she was going ill. So it would be, um, I think it would be very painful. It was a painful time in real life, but in the unlived life, I think it would be, um, hopefully that they would offset each other at the excitement of taking care of a small child and projecting forward to the future as well as, um, as well as trying to take care of, return the care to the mother that she'd given to you without thinking, you know, when she was younger. But also, I, I mean, I kind of, I didn't have to do this. And I'd, there, I know there are lots of people who do this right now. Um, that double care is an extremely difficult thing to do. Um, yeah. And there's no, there's not enough support for carers in the US where I currently live and also in the UK. There's just never has been. Um, no, it's not sort of... Um not sort of legitimized it's something that needs support or yeah yeah no I mean it's horrendous there should have been a national care service in the post 45 there was a national health service but the care service never sort of came to fruition but there should have been and there still could be England (laughs) (laughs) but I think you are right in that you've got you've got real sort of um you do have some real sort of inroads into the future as it were you know Mm -hmm. you've got a partner who you adore and you do have a you do have a baby um and your company is growing um yeah and I and and from that position I know that I that's a position of strength in which hopefully I can support my family through my mother's final illness and death and um and also have confidence I think often my brothers and dad have thought have worried about me and they still I mean they still do a bit but they less than they used to and I think if I had a supportive partner and a child and a kind of creative endeavor they they would be like okay she's fine you know we have to worry about her anymore um does that feel important yeah it would be a gift to give to them so they wouldn't worry about me I've often wished my dad's a romantic too and he often thinks oh if Joe just fell in love. If Joe just had this, then she'd be fine. Um, and I'm not sure I believe that myself because I don't believe in fairy tales anymore. But um, but you are a romantic divorcee, so you know we have to balance those things. <laughs> I know exactly, exactly. Um, do you think that you make some art out of your mother's, out of this moment in time? Yeah, I do. I do. I do, and I think I would find that um, very fulfilling. I've written about my mother in forms of memoir. She appears in the book, and I've written about her separately. And I've often found that quite painful because the first time I did it, I wrote sort of a piece of about 4,000 words for the magazine I used to work at in London, the London Review of Books. And I realised that in sort of 10 minutes, people could see my mother at the beginning as as she always was. And at the end, she's ill. And this sort of velocity and speed, and it sort of sunk in quite how how difficult it had been to see her deteriorate. And that affected me, kind of, it made, it really upset me seeing that set down. And um, 
I wonder if if I if I was able to create layers of abstraction or um, uh, using particular, maybe there would be um, when my, my mom was really ill, she would walk back and forward in the living room and she would rearrange the sofa cushions and then she would go away and disarrange them and then rearrange them again. And maybe there was a, like something that would come out of that to make a dance with that almost I would use my experience of caring for her in that way, like in the rehearsal room and would say, okay, how walking back and forth, what dance can we make out of that? And it would be very satisfying to see something very beautiful come out of an experience that was very painful and confusing and um and sad it would be really satisfying without having to say you know more than my mother has Alzheimer's so I know this from the inside well I think that's quite a lovely place to stop is there anything else that you feel we need to any ends that you feel we need to tidy up before before we conclude no no she sounds lovely, doesn't she? She sounds happy. She's having a nice her. life. <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to bring over from your unlived life into your current life? That can be anything. That can be your outfit from the cruise ship or that can be something a little bit more abstract. <laughs> I want the outfit from the cruise ship. Let's be <laughs> God, I was just thinking, what about the nice husband and the baby? That's terrible. This, you know, now I've written a book about being single, and I'm like, no, can I just please have the husband and the sweet little baby? But he's not a husband; he's a partner. And God, you know, you've got you've got decades and decades to do all sorts of you know creative formulations of your relationship. (laughs) Okay, I'll take them. I'll have them. Also, what I do think, and I and I, you know, you said this at the beginning, but but you know our romantic lives are a really big part of our lives and i think and you know and you have i think in the Simone de Beauvoir one it's particularly interesting because you know you talk about her sort of quest for freedom and to be free you know but she still has these pulls and these you know hugely important romantic affairs and sort of that tension is there but it doesn't mean it's it doesn't mean it goes away it doesn't mean that sort of you know when I've been talking about this book, people have said to me also, where, you know, where do you end up? Where in your life now? And I felt a big pressure to be like, oh, well, I've fallen in love again. Oh, I'm pregnant. Or, oh, like finish up the story of the tight with a nice bow. And that isn't where I am. Like I'm single and I, I don't know have a kid. And in the book, I try and leave all those things open and be honest about that. Um, that some days that feels wonderful and great. I have freedom. Like I walk walk to work and look up at the Chrysler building and have a coffee in my hand and feel like a character in a movie and then just sometimes I go home and just feel very um, very far from home very misunderstood very broke because every cocktail in New York cost um $15 without tip um (laughs) so uh so so yeah I mean it's it's is much easier in a conversation as to be like, oh yes, I'll just give myself a different ending. But real life, you, yeah, you're right. You have a long time to try things out and make mistakes and find a bit path. You know, go wrong, go right. Um, and that's been it's been such a pleasure to kind of go through this with you, isn't it? Right. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you for doing it with me. I really appreciate it. And thank you for trusting me with your unlived life. I keep thinking about one of the earliest things Joanna said in our conversation. 
about how she was both challenged and accompanied over the last few years by the women whose lives she wrote about, and how one of the key things that pretty much all of those women were balancing in their lives was this question of how you pursue a creative life while also having emotional attachments. Jo seemed concerned at the end of her path that her aspirations had become somewhat traditional. She'd forged this hugely dynamic, creative life for herself, but ultimately ended up kind of hoping for a partner and a child. But I think we came to the idea that pursuing an untrodden path isn't mutually exclusive from wanting love, and also that being challenged and accompanied, whether that's by writers from the past or by a really beautiful, supportive community of friends and family, can actually be what helps hold the space for both romantic and creative aspirations to coexist. I also like to think that Joanna might allow herself to be challenged and accompanied by one more woman, that this more embodied dancer version of herself might be someone she can check in with now and then as she carries on in New York, and that she might find a little guidance from her along the way. If you're a fan of My Unlived Life, I'd be so grateful if you'd help spread the word by rating, reviewing, subscribing, or following wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, by sharing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.